Hey, well, good morning, Westside family. It's great to see you again. My name's Rusty, if we didn't meet last week, and Randy is so kind as to have me come out for a couple weeks uh, this summer, and I'm really excited to be with you. It was so fun last week, uh, and I, I don't know if, uh, how much you remember, but I live in California now, but I grew up just down the road, just down the turnpike in Wichita, and so I am a native Kansan, and I, just like you, am praying for 20 and 0 for the Chiefs starting here in just a few weeks. So let's all join hands and pray and ask the Lord for that and for no injuries to Patrick Mahomes. Anyway, um, it is uh, really great to be back in uh, the homeland and to be back with you guys. And last week, we kicked off a series talking about anger. Why am I so angry? And I so appreciate uh, the words that you all shared with me and uh, the, the kind notes that I got about, hey, that was really helpful. Uh, I had a blow up in the car on the way here. This helped resolve that. Uh, I think all of us have had those kind of moments. Have you noticed Sunday morning is kind of the time when we have the most arguments, getting ready for church, getting the kids ready for church, in the car, on the way to church. My wife and I have figured out how to deal with that, and that is we just drive separately. And that just has changed everything, uh, mainly because I got to get there a lot earlier than she does, but uh, it has been a game changer. So we're continuing this conversation today and also wrapping it up as we talk about anger and why are we so angry. And I came across a few pictures that I um, I've saw on the, the internet that uh, kind of show us a little bit about anger. This one was put in an office refrigerator. I don't know your name, but you've been seen stealing my butter. Put it back or in the fridge or I will lick everything, okay? Uh, so that's, that's hostile, all right? And then this one at a diner, we waited 30 minutes, no service, uh, with the ketchup. So anyway, uh, and then finally, uh, if you don't replace the toilet paper rolls, the terrorists win. Uh, do you hate America, okay? So <laughs> These are some people expressing their anger uh, in very calculated ways, and maybe you can resonate with that a little bit. And last week we talked about how anger is really like a smoke detector. When the smoke detector goes off, the smoke detector is not the problem. It's the smoke in the house. It's the fire in the house, and the smoke detector is simply signaling to you there's another problem. And when you and I get angry, when we lose our temper, when we start yelling at our kids, when we start uh, shutting down and getting passive aggressive, or we give the cold shoulder, or we start getting really sarcastic, it's really an indicator of another problem that's going on, and it's usually one of these three words. We're either hurt, or we're frustrated, or we're fearful. And the quicker we can dial it back, and say, wait, 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 I know I'm angry, but why am I angry? Anger is the second emotion. It's an indicator of something else. Am I hurt? Then I can at least talk about what I'm hurt about. If I'm frustrated, I can at least talk about what my frustration is. If I'm fearful, at least I can put words to it. And this helps us get to what James says in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. And this is kind of our key verse for these two week, this two-week series. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, there's so much we can unpack from this. There is human anger, there's godly anger. And God got mad at things that kept people from him. And we see this demonstrated in the life of Jesus, where he gets angry in a very controlled and specific way towards the issues that were keeping people from Jesus. And in this situation, he says, human anger, which is usually about we're hurt, we're frustrated, we're fearful, and so we respond in a way that only deteriorates and destroys our relationships. He says, that kind of anger doesn't get you to where you want to go. That kind of anger does not help you become like Jesus. 
And so with that in mind, we wanna dial this back and figure out how should we be angry. And last week we talked a little bit about how to process anger and where the root of anger comes from and how we begin to develop that. But today, today I wanna talk about an anger issue that all of us probably deal with in some, some level. And some levels, it's really big. And that is our anger towards God. And we don't like to talk about that a lot in church, right? In fact, if you're kind of new around here or just checking out online, you might be thinking that this room is filled with people that never get angry at God. But we do. I do. Because it happens when you pray a prayer and God seems to be silent. You prayed for your mom dying of cancer, for her to be healed, and she still died. You prayed for your marriage to stay together, and it still fell apart. You prayed for your kids as they went off to school. God, keep them safe. And one day, he didn't. And there is a deep-seated pain and anger in your heart towards God. Can I just tell you, you're not alone. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, you read people voicing their frustration, their hurt, and their fear towards God in anger. In fact, many of the Psalms that are written in this prayer journal from King David and King Solomon, these people write out their anger and frustration towards God, and God is big enough to take your anger. The quicker we realize what we're angry about, we're hurt, we're frustrated, we're fearful, the quicker it is we're able to at least be able to live with it deal with it, and see Jesus lead us through it. But there's another level of anger that we don't really address very much. It's really deep-seated in our life, and we don't ever really notice it, but we, don't, we normally wouldn't even call it anger with God, but it's there. And, and it, happens, it happens on Mother's Day. Mother's Day, when you have a, a decent morning with your kids who've celebrated you, Uh, to some level, and then you get on Instagram, and you start seeing all the ways other families have celebrated their mothers. Oh, breakfast in bed. I had a cliff bar thrown at me. Fantastic. Okay, they took her out for lunch. I got to make lunch for the family. You know, you just begin to scroll through all the things everybody else is doing, and some kind of anger begins to boil up inside of you. It happens every time that your neighbor gets a brand new car. And you're still driving the car that is held together with duct tape and prayer, right? And your neighbor rolls in in the new Tesla and you're like, "Mm, good for you. And you're so mad at that person, right? It's a level of anger of when your brother-in-law calls you up and tells you about the promotion he got and you didn't. It's a level of anger that sometimes you even experience towards your own spouse. As much as you love them, life's easy for them. It seems to be difficult for you. And it's an anger that you think is more about an anger towards that person. But here's where the real anger is. That real anger is actually towards God. Because who gave them that opportunity? Who gave them that promotion? Who gave them their talent? Who gave them even their looks? And most of us are mad at God, and we've never even realized it because we just think we're jealous. We don't like that word. We like to use it for other people, but the reality is when you and I get jealous towards somebody else, our issue is not with them. Our issue is often with God. Can I just tell you something? If you struggle with that, 
If you wrestle with this deep-seated jealousy, the odds are you are probably wrestling with a deep-seated anger towards God. Take a look at how James talks about this, and continuing on in his letter, he writes, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And James says, you think your problem is with others, but it's actually with God, so talk to him about it. And this is where you lean in and say, that's the problem. I did talk to God about this, and he did nothing. In fact, this is where we begin to stop our relationship with God. Here's just three quick things how to know if you're mad at God. The first one is you stop talking to God because there's something in you and in me that says, why does it matter? Why should I even pray? I prayed before, got nothing, I'm done. Here's another one. You stop talking about God. No longer is he the subject of your conversation with your spouse or with your kids. And you don't even discuss what happened in church on the way home anymore. Being in church is no longer a priority. You just stop talking about God. He's let you down. You're on your own. And then finally, you give up on God. There's a fancy word that a lot of people are using right now called deconstructing your faith, where you're beginning to take apart the building blocks and saying, I'm not sure if I believe any of this, but the reality is it all starts with, I am dissatisfied with God. He let me down. And it's often expressed in our jealousy. And some of us are here today, and we're mad at God. We think we're just mad at our boss. We think we're just mad at our brother-in-law. We think we're just mad at our ex-wife. But the reality is we are mad at God because he gave them something we wanted. Can I just tell you that this is a problem that every one of us have been wrestling with since pretty much the beginning of time? And we even see this play out with the people that were closest to Jesus, his disciples. Now, I don't know if you've been watching the TV show, The Chosen. I highly recommend it. It's awesome. But in that, that, that series, they do such a good job of expressing the humanity of the disciples and how they were not guys that had it all together. They were bumbling fools sometimes. And when you look at the scriptures and read about how they talked about each other and the struggles that they had, we quickly discover that amongst these 12 that are closest to Jesus, a couple of them had some severe jealousy issues. I don't think John and Peter always got along because you constantly see them battling for position. Who gets to sit next to Jesus? Who's closest to Jesus? Who's well thought of by Jesus? And so years later, when John writes his gospel to tell us who, he, who Jesus was and what Jesus did, John actually lets us know what he thinks Jesus thought of him. Now, I, I kind of think, and I, I love the words of Craig Rochelle, he says that John was probably annoying, okay? Don't get mad at me, get, get mad at Pastor Craig. But John was probably annoying, and here's why, because when John writes his gospel, he refers to himself in the third person. Now, I'm from Kansas, so I know Bob Dole used to do that. Anybody remember that, okay? Uh, but John, John used to refer, would refer to himself in the third person, and, and he, would not, he would not talk about himself as, you know, just John. He would refer to himself as the one Jesus loved. That's how his name pops up in his gospel. Well, Jesus was sitting by the one Jesus loved, and that meant John. That would be a little annoying. Peter's reading this thing, and are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> Again with this, you know? 
This is a little bit like, uh, you know, when Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, uh, writes these words, there was no one more humble than Moses. That's funny. I don't know if, if you, you know, are, are as amused by that as I am, but I, I really think that's funny. Okay, so you see the Bible's filled with real people. And John and Peter kind of have this constant tension, this, you know, this comparison issue and competition to be Jesus' favorite. Now, I want to read you this passage, and I'm going to unpack this story a little bit, and I'm going to give you the solution to our anger that Jesus gives these guys. But here's the deal. Jesus has been, has been crucified. Jesus has been in the tomb for three days, and now it's Sunday morning, and the women are now traveling to the tomb to make sure the body has been embalmed the proper way. In other words, let's go fix what the men didn't do right. And the women roll up to the tomb on Sunday morning, and the, 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 the stone has been rolled away. Take a look at what we read here. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Which one, John? The one Jesus loved. And said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So John is telling us his story and refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. John tells us this, so Peter and the other disciple, who's John, started for the tomb. This is great. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter <laughs> and reached the tomb first. This is amazing. Jesus is risen, but I'm faster than Peter, okay? How much of a guy is this, right? This is incredible. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. Now, fast forward a little bit. The disciples are now out on the Sea of Galilee. And as excited as they are, Jesus has come back from the dead. Peter's not so sure. Because the last words that Jesus heard Peter say before Jesus was crucified were the words, I don't know that man, three times. Peter thinks he's done. And so he just goes back to work. He's fishing. And the disciples are out in the boat as well, and they're fishing. And Jesus shows up on the shore, and he yells out to them, have you caught anything? They say, no, we haven't caught anything. And he says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat, which is a callback to early in their relationship when Jesus did this. And then they caught so many fish, they could barely pull them into the boat. And they begin to do this. And they catch so many fish again, suddenly they realize the person on the shore is Jesus. And John tells us what happens next. Then, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. In other words, I saw him first. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. John is saying, I saw him first, and Peter is so undignified. He's fishing naked, and then he puts on his garment and then dives in. Yeah, he's a fast swimmer, but I can outrun him. And then this is what happens next. And this is the power where the story is. They have a little breakfast, and Jesus says, Peter, let's go for a walk. And they start walking. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course, Lord, you know I love you. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to take care of my followers. And then Jesus says again, do you love me? 
of course, Lord, you know that I do. I need you to take care of my sheep. And then he asks him a third time, do you love me? And Peter knows, ah, three questions for three denials. And he says, you know, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. This is a powerful moment where Jesus reinstates Peter and says, listen, years ago, I asked you to uh, be the leader of this thing. I'm going to build my church on the words that you said, that you believe that I am the Messiah. And now I'm giving you the keys back again. Forget about denying me. That's in the past. It's done. I died for that sin. I paid for it. Here's the keys. Take care of my church. And as amazing as this would be in Peter's life, look what happens. John tells us this. Peter turned and saw who? The disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Isn't that great? Jesus and Peter are having this heart-to-heart, one-on-one, and John's kind of stalking behind, you know? What are they talking about? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? I mean, yeah, I appreciate that you have forgiven me, but what about him? I appreciate that you have reinstated me to be the leader of the church, but what about him? What's he going to get? And isn't this the way that we think? We're so good at, boy, I am so excited I got this promotion Did anybody else get one? I'm so glad I got this new office. Is it better than theirs? I'm so happy we got this new car, but the neighbor got a better one. Always looking around. And here's the powerful statement for you and I. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus replied, what is that to you? What is that to you if I've asked you to do one thing and he's asked to do another? What is that to you if your legacy is not going to be as great as his? What is that to you if you're only going to write two books in the Bible and John's going to write five? What is that to you if he never dies? What is that to you? In other words, Peter Stay in your lane. What is that to you? You know, this jealousy thing with God, I, uh, I've always wrestled with this. I've always been happy until I find out somebody else has a better situation. I've always kind of longed for the approval that other people get instead of just me. And, and it's kind of really made me this, have this love angry relationship with, with God sometimes. God, that's good, but what about them? I, I recall the biggest struggle I had with this was when I moved to take over this church in California. The church was almost three years old, and it had been started by this incredible, charismatic leader by the name of Kyle Eidelman. And some of you know that name, and he's a pastor now at a church in Louisville, and he's an incredible speaker and author, and uh, he's, you know, he's just amazing. He started this church in California, and then he felt called to leave there and go to this church in Kentucky, and I came out to take over the church, and shortly after I got there, I began to be made known that I'm not as good as Kyle. People are kind that way. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah, 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 Kyle was so good. Yes, he was. 
He left you, but you know, um, <laughs> he's great. Kyle would have a new book come out. Have you read Kyle's book? I have not, but thank you. Now I will go check it out. Oh, it's so good. We should preach on that. Well, I'm going to preach on the Bible, but that's fine. If you want to preach on Kyle's book, you know, it's just this constant, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. And apparently, Kyle is incredibly good looking because some people would come up and say, you know, Kyle was so good looking. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, we kind of like having a hot pastor. Really? Okay. I mean, you Californians are nuts. I mean, that was not on the, you know, the job description, but Okay. And this went on and on and on. We'd have a big Sunday and people would say, oh, those are Kyle numbers. Are you kidding me? You know, it just, for, this went on for years. And about the time I uh, had kind of reached this like burnout stage from everything going on with, you know, growing a church and building a building and all these kind of things and all the Kyle nonsense, I went away to this place in Colorado that specializes in pastors and their wives coming in and they do counseling during the day and then you eat together at night, and they kind of piece you back together to go back out into ministry. And one night, I'm sitting at the table after, you know, four or five hours of intense counseling and unpacking all my issues and all that. And I'm sitting at the table with other couples that are there who have come for the very same reasons. And we're just sitting there getting to know each other. And this guy across the table, we're talking, and he's from Minnesota. And he says, now, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm at this uh, church outside of Los Angeles in Valencia. And he said, is that near Kyle Eidelman's church? I said, are you kidding me? I got up and I overturned the table. No, I'm kidding you. I wanted to. I thought, that's the reason I'm here. You're bringing this. I can't get away from this guy, you know? And I, I, I got back to the room that night, and I, I'm lamenting to my wife about all of this, and I just felt like God, not an audible voice, but I just felt like God said to me, what is that to you? What is that to you? if Kyle has a bigger church than you? What is that to you if I use him in a different way? What is that to you if he writes bestsellers and you write books only your mom buys? You know? <laughs> what is that to you? So I decided, I'm gonna start celebrating Kyle. And when people would talk about him, I'd say, oh, that, that is so great, I'll check it out. I'd use him in illustrations sometimes and talk about different books that he'd written. When he'd write a new book, I, I'd go out and I'd buy a copy of it. And I'd text him and I'd tell him, man, I love your new book. I hope it sells dozens. <laughs> I, you know, I was, I'm working on it, okay? <laughs> but I just felt the more that I celebrated him, the more that these chains of jealousy and anger towards God began to diminish. And I don't know who that is in your life, but there's somebody. Somebody that every time you see their feed on Instagram, you cringe because it's always something wonderful. Somebody in your family, perhaps, that always seems to get all the breaks. Everything seems to go great for them. And it just bothers you, makes your blood boil. Friends, your anger is not towards them. Your anger is a frustration towards God because you're wondering, what about me? Can I give you two things that I think will help? First one sounds really trite, but it's true. Count your blessings. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. We tell our kids this, but the reality is it's true. 
the more you begin to think about all that God has given you, the less you begin to think about all that God has given somebody else. Just count your blessings. There's a great app you can get for your phone called Happy Feed. And every day, it reminds you to put in something you're grateful for. Now, I know this sounds like, oh, is that just crazy, you know, kind of self-help stuff. But it's all rooted in Scripture. To count your blessings. To think about all that God has done for you. And just write it down on a daily basis. And remind yourself, it really, it really could be worse. I mean, when you are driving your car and it's barely keeping it together... It's making all kinds of noise, and you're just praying it kind of, you know, continues to make it another year. And a brand new Beamer pulls up next to you, and you look at that car, and you're thinking, oh, I wish I had that car. Who is that person? I mean, I bet they don't even go to church. Look at me, you know. Just say to yourself, it could be worse. It could be worse. When you pull up to your house and you see the mailboxes, you know, falling down, and the, the bushes are overgrown, and the house needs painted, you walk up to that front door, just say to yourself, it could be worse. When you wake up in the morning and you roll over and you look at your spouse, I'm kidding, don't, don't do that, all right? But this simple act of counting the blessings that you have is such a way for you to see God's goodness in your life as opposed to what you assume is God's goodness in somebody else's life. Here's the second one. Stay in your lane. You know, there really is this image that I try to think of. of there's God's lane, and then there's other people's lane, and then there's my lane. His, theirs, and mine. And I don't know about you, but I veer into everybody else's lane. Here's how you should live your life. Why don't I get what you have? God, if I were you, I would. Stay in your lane. Because like Jesus said to Peter, what is that to you? You have no idea what I'm doing in the grand scheme of my redemption plan for the world. You have no idea whatever tragedy might come to your life, how I will use that for the good of other people. And one day I will restore that in your life. You have no idea whatever blessing I give to somebody else, I am, I am sparing you from if you had that, it could shipwreck your life. You have no idea the reason that I said no to that prayer is because I am protecting you and preparing you for something else down the road. So what is that to you? What is that to you if they succeed and you feel like you didn't? What is that to you if their life seems to be perfect and you feel like yours isn't? You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know the prayers that they pray. What is that to you? Stay in your lane. And friends, the longer I've done this, the longer I've let God be God and I've let others be them and I have just focused in on what God has called me to do, the more my anger level goes down the more my fear and frustration and hurt goes down, the more my jealousy goes away. As I began to open-handedly say, God, it's all yours. Not just what you give me, but what you give others as well. And I'm grateful for all you've already done. Use them, use me. Why don't we pray that right now? Could you just, wherever you are, just take a moment 
Just bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just, let's just zero in on that. God, there's somebody in our life right now. And if I had to admit it, I, I'm pretty jealous of. I want their life. I want their job or their situation or their family. or Everything seems wonderful for them, God. Would you, would you bless them more? May I celebrate them this week and encourage them? Would you help me to take my eyes off of them and put it on you? God, thank you for all you have given us. It may not be always what we wanted. It may not always be what we expected. But God, you have blessed each and every one of us. You've given us exactly what we need for at this moment. And so right now we just say we trust you. We open up our hands and we surrender to you. God, we want to stay in our lane. You have made each of us for a purpose, for a reason, to do something specific for you. May we do that with our lives. So God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this incredible church and the work they're doing in this community and around the world to bless other people and share with them this good news of Jesus. And so we continue to express our gratitude to you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.